Welcome back to Amerisogyny. I'm your host, Hannah Blue. You're listening to episode 45. Oh, baby. Today, I'm going to talk to you about babies, children, and parenting. But not in the way you might think. Of course, I'm going to put my own little spin on it. In the last episode, I gave you a lot of things to think about. The indigenous cult leaders. And this episode will kind of expand on that. I like linking my episodes and I especially like the links I find to mental health. Well, if you haven't heard of Kite Baby, you will today. A mother who says her son was in NICU says she was fired by Kite Baby for asking to work remotely. Her name is Marissa. And she says her managers agreed to let her work part-time and remotely while her baby son was in the hospital. But she says as she was reviewing maternity leave paperwork, they called her and fired her. Now, Kite Baby has a completely different scenario. They say she was denied remote work by mistake and she declined their offer to return to work. Marissa says, not today, Satan. She says she was told when you get home and you decide that you want to work again, we would consider taking you back. I was never told I had a job. Now here where it gets bizarre. The founder of Kite Baby, Ying Lu, I don't know if I'm saying that right, gets on TikTok and posts an apology. Now mind you, when I first read the story, I thought the mother hopped on TikTok to complain. But no, the mother never went to TikTok. The founder did and posted two bizarre apologies. She got called out for the first apology because people could read her insincerity. The first video received 2.8 million views. And what did she do after she was called out? She hopped on TikTok again and posted a second apology, neither of which I'm going to get into because I think it was bizarre for her to get on TikTok and bring a very private matter to public in the first place. Now, Ying admitted it was her decision not to allow the mom to work remotely, and she said she made a terrible mistake in how she treated her. Hmm, here's my take. Why take this to TikTok if the mother didn't? The mother says that she asked for response in writing. She never asked for a TikTok video, let alone two. Marissa says, it was never my intention to quit. I was willing to work from the NICU. I did tell them, this is a slap in the face. My child is fighting for his life. This is what Marissa told Today.com when she was interviewed. But there wouldn't have been an interview had Ying not posted on TikTok. Now, I would never begin to tell another woman how to run her business, But I am going to give my opinion. And here's my take. By Ying going to TikTok, she probably felt, I'm going to get a whole lot of publicity for my company. And people are going to think I'm the greatest boss in the universe. No, that's not what happened. People were not as stupid as she believed them to be when she posted the first BS apology. And once she got called out for it, she should have kept her ass off TikTok. But she didn't. She came back. And guess what? Now people are siding with the mother, as they should, 
and are boycotting her company, Kite Baby. This is the issue with going viral, people. Sometimes you're not going to like all the attention you think you want. Number one, I see no problem in allowing her to work remotely. Her baby is sick, obviously. What would have been the harm? Ying says she didn't believe Marissa's job could be done remotely. Okay, then you work it out in-house. You don't bring it to TikTok. You send an email saying, I'm sorry, this is what I'm proposing. Can you accept my apology? Why was this so hard to do? If there's one thing I don't get, it is having to let the entire world know what's going on in your personal life. Or in this case, letting the whole world into your business operations. What is the point of doing that? In a previous episode, I told you the need for validation and attention sometimes overshadows people's lives and well-being. She didn't send the mother an email trying to resolve the issue, but she hopped on TikTok twice. Well, when one door closes, another opens. Now the whole world is aware of the mother's story. Was it worth it? Where do we cross this threshold where we need to let the entire world into our personal lives? I saw a reel of what I assume is a husband and wife or a couple. I don't know if they're married. But apparently the lady had a baby. And the man is being recorded taking care of her, helping her to dress, cooking her food. And as I'm watching the reel, I realize there is someone actually filming him as he walks a plate of food to the woman. And then people were commenting, oh, he's such a good man. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? Aren't you supposed to take care of your woman after she had a baby or after she gets out of the hospital? Whatever the situation is. Why do you need to record a video of helping a woman to get dressed cooking her food and bringing it to her for attention and validation is not a thank you from the woman enough. I'm telling you guys, people put anything on social media these days. And to me, it's just crazy. There was no need for Kite Baby to get on TikTok and post two apologies. But she was looking for validation and she didn't get it. And that's a decision I'll bet she's regretting. Now, of course, this happened in good old USA, and we're going to be here for a while. But as baffled as I am by Kite Baby, this next story has me applauding. And it happened right here in North Carolina. A middle school decided to take away the bathroom mirrors so that students couldn't record TikTok videos. That's right. Southern Alamance Middle School has had enough. Go Southern Alamance. According to the Alamance Burlington School System, Southern Alamance removed the bathroom mirrors because they were tired of kids being distracted by TikTok videos. Some of the kids were caught cutting class and going to the bathroom up to nine times a day, but not for what they were supposed to be there for. They were going to the bathroom to make TikTok videos. And educators were sick of it. And guess what? It worked. 
The excessive number of trips to the bathroom has cut down significantly, and the students aren't staying as long as they were. Of course not. They don't have anything to do now. Now the kids are going to the bathroom and coming back in a reasonable time, as they should. The school district also has a digital hall pass system. This allows the kids to check in and out of class, and it tracks how much time the kids spend outside of the classroom. The district says it wants to teach the kids digital citizenship. Les Atkins, the public relations officer, says, We're trying to educate students. We all have cell phones now. We have to learn how to use them. We have to learn when to put them down. Amen to that. And this comes after U.S. tech experts say Gen Z will grow increasingly addicted and reliant on TikTok. The experts say the mindless scrolling on TikTok would develop into a dependence. I've already said how I feel about TikTok, so there's no need to tell you again. But I applaud Southern Alamance for taking a stand and putting an end to the nonsense. Our next stop, still in the USA, folks. When I read this story, I had to talk about it. This lady, Staff Sergeant Michelle Young, served in the Army. She was the mother of a 12-year-old girl. She was a social media influencer, but she used her account for good. She spoke about suicide prevention and awareness often, and sadly, she took her own life at 34 years old. Michelle was gorgeous, and she had a beautiful 12-year-old daughter. She served in the Army for 16 years and did two tours in Afghanistan. Her committing suicide shocked everyone who watched her and everyone who knew her. You never know what someone is going through in private. You may watch people on social media and think they're doing so well. You think they have it all and they have bright futures, but you don't know. Behind closed doors, they may be suffering. She wasn't on TikTok. She was on Instagram, but that doesn't matter. All of these social media sites set up illusions for people. Watching people on social media and thinking they're so happy and they have everything together. And sometimes it's just not true. Michelle posted a birthday message on Instagram for her daughter that said, Happy birthday to the sweetest girl I've ever known. The best part about my life is being your mama. It's reported she was very close to her daughter and she had over 100,000 followers on Instagram. Michelle was an advocate for better mental health treatment for veterans and volunteered at a local shelter as a crisis trauma response volunteer. She even shared how her older brother took his life when she was 14. People don't know why she committed suicide. Guys, there's a reason I'm dedicated to mental health. Mental illness is no joke. Our government has to do better for people who suffer from mental illness as a whole. It's not going to get any better on its own. And now we have a beautiful mother who has left her 12-year-old daughter behind. Think of the trauma this little girl is going through. $25,000 has been raised on GoFundMe for Michelle's daughter. My heart truly goes out to her. I cannot imagine the pain she's going through. People, if you're struggling with suicidal thoughts, dial the 24-7 National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 988 or visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Please don't take your lives. Once you do it, 
there is no going back. There's no waking up for a second chance. Rest in peace, Michelle Young. I hope you now have the solace you couldn't find here on earth. One of the reasons I talk about mental health is it affects everyone. Mental illness does not belong to a single community. It belongs to everyone. Let's take a trip to Heart Butte, Montana, where Native Americans know the story of suicide all too well. 600 people live in Heart Butte, Montana on the Blackfeet Indian Reservation. Amanda Morningstar is a mother who says she has observed her kids struggling with mental health. As any good mother would do, she wants the best for her children. She wants to protect them. She says, we're family oriented and we do stuff together. I had healthy pregnancies. We're very protective of our kids. It's been reported Native Americans have the highest rates of suicide with very little help. Amanda says her 15-year-old son, Ben, tried to take his own life after his cousin and two classmates committed suicide. Ben Morningstar says, their deaths made me feel like part of me was not here. I was gone. I was lost. Ben received treatment in an inpatient mental health unit, but once he was released, there was very little assistance. According to the CDC, non-Hispanic indigenous people in the U.S., die by suicide at higher rates than any other racial or ethnic group. In 2020, Montana ranked third across states for suicides. From 2017 to 2021, 25% of the suicides in Montana were among Native Americans. Why is that scary? They only represent 6.5% of the state's population. Suicide affects indigenous people from ages 10 to 24. Experts say it's because the national strategy for suicide prevention isn't relevant to Native American culture, nor is it sensitive to their unique values. Amanda says, I worried who was going to keep my son safe. Who could he call or reach out to? There are really no resources in Heartbeat. According to Ben, he's doing better. He says, it is okay to cry, and I got friends I can go to when I have a bad day. Friends are better than anything. Ben was receiving 15-minute virtual telehealth behavioral therapy visits twice a month, but recently it was reduced to once a month. Why is suicide so high among Native Americans? Well, they've had a lot to deal with. It's called intergenerational trauma, and this is caused by racial discrimination, colonization, forced relocation, and government-sanctioned abduction to boarding schools. I learned about Native American boarding schools through reading. This is why reading is important, and I'll say it again. This is why we cannot allow this country to ban books. I had never knew because I never learned in school. Native American children were ripped from their families and sent to boarding schools to learn how to be proper Americans. And what does that mean? They forced these kids to turn their backs on everything they held dear. Their culture, their language, everything they had been taught. Because according to the founders of the schools, they wanted them to be civilized. Let me ask you something. What's civilized about taking Native American populations, starving them, killing them, and forcing them off their land? 
these boarding schools did Native American children no favors. The kids were beaten with no mercy. They were denied food. They couldn't see their parents. Some of them were tortured. Many of them were killed. Reading is fundamental, you guys. A lot of these accounts were written by Native Americans themselves. And the intergenerational trauma that unfolded was abuse. Physical, emotional, and sexual. Domestic violence. Substance abuse. Mental illness. Divorce. Incarceration. And poverty. Colonizing broke up indigenous populations like matchsticks. We cannot expect people who have had hundreds of years of trauma inflicted on them not to be broken. What needs to be understood is the Blackfeet tribe and the White Mountain Apache tribe and so many other tribes did not get to the state on their own. I've talked about having compassion, but before we can do that, we need to understand that the U.S. has committed atrocities against people with long-lasting results. And lack of mental health services is one of them. The Indian Health Service provides mental health resources. However, only one person has the responsibility of addressing suicide across 600 tribal nations. That is deplorable. Here's a bit of light in the darkness. The Rural Behavioral Health Institute screened more than 1,000 students in 10 Montana schools from 2020 to 2022. And the governor of Montana is hoping to use state money to expand mental health screening for all schools. Now that is a step in the right direction. 44-year-old Robert Coberly says he started having suicidal ideation at 10 years old. He says... I was scared to live and scared to die. I just didn't care. He is a member of the Tulalip tribe. He says he suffered in private for almost a decade until he almost died in a car crash while driving drunk. He says the suicidal thoughts came back after one of his children died. The treatment he received at a behavioral health center worked because he said they blended Western methodologies with indigenous customs. And that is the key, people. This reminds me of my favorite psychologist, Lev Vygotsky, and his sociocultural theory of cognitive development. Vygotsky said, learning is culturally dependent. People from different cultures learn differently. And what this means is you cannot teach anyone anything if you leave out their culture. This includes treating people with mental illness. Vygotsky believed we learn from interacting with others around us. Vygotsky believed learning was a cultural phenomenon. Children from different cultures embrace different styles of learning. You can take a group of kids with different cultures and put them in the same cognitive behavioral therapy group. As long as you are respectful of each of their cultures and incorporate their cultures into your practices, they will learn strategies to cope with mental health and they'll learn from each other. The incorporation of culture is essential to optimum mental health treatment. Our last stop is a trip out of the USA to China. Now, Amanda Morningstar is trying desperately to help her children. But people in China, China says they have entered an era of negative population growth. 
They haven't seen such low numbers since the Great Famine that happened between 1958 and 1961. China shot themselves in the foot with their one-child policy. They thought they were controlling the population, but in the end, it came back to bite them. They didn't get rid of the one-child policy until 2015. And now, they're struggling to increase the population. According to research, China's low fertility rate is due to increasing costs of living and little help from the government. In a desperate attempt to bring the numbers back up, the government began offering incentives such as tax breaks and subsidies for childcare and even longer parental leave. None of it has worked. COVID lockdowns in China did its people no favors. The younger people in China have rejected high-pressure jobs and choose to live what is called a low-desire life or move abroad. 20,000 people between the ages of 18 and 25 participated in an online survey and two-thirds of them said they had no desire to become parents. To put it simply, China's view on COVID has pissed the younger people off. Last year, a young man in China went viral because he refused to be taken into a quarantine camp. When threatened by police that his punishment would affect his family for three generations, he said, we are the last generation. Thank you. The last generation became a popular hashtag and an online meme that generated millions of comments before it was censored. Some of the comments read, In this country, to love your child is to never let them be born in the first place. Another said, This resonated deeply in me. I bought a t-shirt with, We are the last generation written on it. I cannot bring a child into this world to let him suffer. It's usually three strikes until you strike out, but with China, it's two. Their one-child policy and COVID is the reason why it's in this predicament. Now, experts say the population decline won't affect China's economy immediately, but it reveals China's growth is unstable. And eventually, the population decline is going to have a huge impact on China's economy. People, we have no more stops because I'm out of time. If you enjoyed today's episode, by now you know what to do. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and we'll still be on Podbean, Spotify, Samsung, or wherever you listen from. I will be back with more stories. Until then, be easy, take care of yourselves, have a good weekend, and as always, God, Bless.